0: Father, we thank you for the chance to gather this evening and to listen to your word. And we ask, please, that you would grow us in our love for Jesus. Give us eyes to see his worth and hearts that would bow uh, and serve him. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Well. We've had two readings and the second reading, the New Testament reading, was about a lady who came to Jesus and showed extravagant devotion for Jesus. And reading that story in the context of the New Testament and in Luke's account of what Jesus did, we see that here is someone who understands that Jesus is the saviour. Someone who understands that she needs Jesus and that he's come to save. He's come to forgive, to make forgiveness possible. And knowing of her own sin, she loves Jesus much. That brings us, I think, to the key question this evening, which is, do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? It's a key question for all of us this evening. Perhaps the most important question we could ever be asked, I think, and and have to answer. Do I love Jesus? You see, a Christian is someone who recognizes that Jesus is the son of God. He's come as God's promised king into the world and he came to die on the cross. And a Christian is someone that, that recognizes that, that what Jesus did in the cross in history was done for his people. That by Jesus' death and resurrection, he has delivered his people from their enemies. Enemies of sin, the death, and devil, the devil. And by this one man and his victory... He has rescued his people from certain defeat, from, from slavery to sin and the devil. He is the one who makes a people. He is the one who, forgi- who wins forgiveness for his people and secures for his people a great future. And so the lady in our second reading demonstrated her love in a way that showed her understanding of who Jesus was and why she needed Jesus. She knew her sin and she loved him much. I don't want to start with this question to beat us up because in a very real sense we will always be lacking in our love For Jesus but but tonight we are going to have a passage which will remind us of why we should love Jesus and and I pray correct us in our hearts so that we grow in our love for him it is so easy I find in life as a Christian to look to the future and to set my heart on the things that I think will deliver me and help me day by day when actually our Bibles tell us the, the Christian life is all about looking backwards to what Jesus has done for his people, so that we love him and serve him in the present. Now, let's go to 1 Samuel and, and get to 1 Samuel uh, 18, and it's important in uh these verses to remind ourselves of what has happened so far in uh, the book. So David, who has just defeated Goliath, um, a surprising victory we heard last week in chapter 17. He has already been secretly anointed by Samuel as God's chosen king. And so tonight we'll refer to him as the Lord's anointed. It's just a phrase that means he is God's chosen king. And David, as we've said, has just delivered the Israelites from their, their worst enemies, from Goliath and his people, the Philistines, who had been taunting them for 40 days. And no one else from the Israelite camp or army had stepped forward to do anything about this. Not King Saul, who was meant to lead his people in battle, and and not anyone in the army. No one was able to do so until David stepped forward. And David did what the king was meant to have done. He led his people, the king was meant to have led his people, trusting God and defeating his enemies. And that's exactly what we read about David doing In chapter 17. So, but for David, the people of Israel would have been killed or enslaved. So David is truly, truly worthy of his people's, the people's devotion. Um, He is due a debt of gratitude. In these verses, in this section of 1 Samuel, there is a tension then, because David is the Lord's anointed, he's God's chosen king, but actually someone else is still sitting on the throne, King Saul. Bit of tension there. We'll start to feel that in chapter 18. We're waiting to see in this section how David will then find his way to the throne and, and how others will respond to his promised rise. Now we're going to start to see the answers in chapter 18 in terms of how people to respond to David. It's like marmite. I have some marmite with me and if you're old enough you will know that the catchphrase for marmite is you either love it or you hate it. Don't think it is anymore because I've managed to get a jar that doesn't say that anymore but if I take my spoon and I get in here and uh, I don't know how this is making you feel. I actually hate it. This, this is Hannah's Marmite. And she's got the children's starters on it. I, I do, could Just by a show of hands, can we prove the advertising slogan? Those four, those who love it, I can't see many hands up at Oh, no, there's a few. Those who hate it, I, I can't see all of the screens, but there is, a, yeah, there's big thumbs down from Kaz. <laughs> Love it or hate it seems to be the polarizing effect of more might. There's no in-between, and that's very much what we see in this chapter. There are those who love the Lord's anointed and those who hate the Lord's anointed. We're going to look at verses 1 to 5, and my heading for these verses is simply Jonathan's love for the Lord's anointed. So verses 1 to 5. Have a look with me. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt." Whatever Saul sent him to do, David did it so successfully that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the people and Saul's officers as well. David is the Lord's anointed. He is also Jonathan's, um, and and, sorry, just worth reminding the characters here. So David is the Lord's anointed. Jonathan is Saul's son. He is the next in line, to the throne. And yet, after David and Saul have finished talking, Jonathan is responding to all that he has seen David do. And and they are, you could describe them as a kindred spirit. In the original it uses the word, their spirits were knit together, which in other contexts speaks of a family bond. It's like saying, where you would expect them maybe to be rivals, they are not rivals, they are actually brothers. There is a deep affection, the deep affection of two friends. And whilst Jonathan is described as loving David as himself twice, in contrast, we read that Saul kept David from his family. You see, Saul is turning out to be the kind of king that Samuel said he would be a taking king. He just takes. The focus in these verses, in this opening section, is on the action of Jonathan. He makes a covenant, we read. That means a binding agreement, which expresses his love. And this is the step that Jonathan takes because he loves David. And in making this covenant, there is the promise of loyalty, a promise of a commitment. David takes the initiative and chooses, sorry, Jonathan takes the initiative and chooses to do this. And it comes with a powerful act of devotion with what's described in verse four, as he took off the rope he was wearing and gave it to David. What does this signify then? Well, here is the royal prince next in line to the throne renouncing his claim. He seems to have recognized David's right to rule. This is truly astonishing. Um, This was not the done thing in that part of the world at that time. You got rid of your rival. But here we see Jonathan taking off the royal robe, he gives up his own rights and Jonathan surrenders everything to David. Thinking of how to illustrate this, it's that moment on the chessboard when someone concedes and they knock over their own king to acknowledge the victor, the rightful ruler. And in this act, that is what Jonathan is doing. That's what he's acknowledging. He sees David as the rightful ruler. Now, in contrast, Saul, how does he honor David? Well, he sends him to war. He he basically drafts him into his service. He likes what he has seen, and says, I could do with a giant slayer on my team, and he sends him to war. Um, It's a promotion in some ways, Um, and we read in that last verse, in verse 5, David's rise continues. For the time being, everyone is happy. Saul is happy. Jonathan, all the people, even Saul's own officers, are happy with the situation. But in verses 6 to 12, In verses 6 to 12, we're going to see more responses to David, and particularly we're going to focus on on Saul's response, the hatred that we see in Saul. So, this is our second heading Saul's hatred of the Lord's anointed. And uh, in brackets, if you're taking notes, you could have put in envy, anger, and murderous intent. I just like saying that in a Scottish accent murderous intent, right? Um, Tiger used to always say, there's been a murder. Anyway, getting back to these verses, we're now being told of how things develop. David's success means increasing popularity. Everybody seems to love him. The soldiers, his, even Saul's own officers, and the military wives. There is a choir that seems to form here in these verses, and they've got this little jingle and chorus that they sing when the soldiers return. The military wives are singing. Verse six, when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with tambourines and lutes. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David's his ten thousands. Now, Saul takes that badly. He doesn't like this being number one in the downloads. Um, and he feels the slight even although they mention his name first, and they greet him, they come out to greet him. But he sort of feels that this is saying more about David than about him. He's, in the words of verse 8, um, It displeased him greatly. He's very angry. Now, it could be that Saul remembers here the words of Samuel. If you just flick back to to chapter 15, Saul has been already told that his days as king are numbered. And in chapter 15 and verse 28... Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. Were these words also playing in Saul's mind? He has disobeyed God, and as a result, he is facing God's judgment And the kingdom will be torn away and given to someone better than him. Saul is perhaps then starting to join the dots. He's very angry and he's going to keep an eye, a jealous eye on David. Now that may be part of Saul's problem. Because we have had a little bit, as we've gone through the chapters, about how man sees things differently from God. I just wonder if Saul's way of seeing things means he is looking at the situation as a man sees and can't discern what God is doing. The very next day, we're told that an evil spirit comes upon Saul. And verse 10, while he was prophesying in his house, David was playing the harp as he usually did, and Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. And he tries this twice, but David escapes. You see, Saul has gone from jealousy and anger to wanting to kill David. Now, the next line, verse 12, might have started, you would expect, David was afraid of Saul. But actually, it reads that Saul was afraid of David. Saul was afraid of David. Why? Because the Lord was with David, but had left Saul. Saul's response in these verses, all forms of hatred. But what drives his hatred? Well, in part, it's because he doesn't want to stop being king. He doesn't want to lose everything. But also at the end here in verse 12, we're told because he recognizes that God is with David and no longer with him. Now, why is this so serious? Well, this verse helps us. His hatred of David is a hatred of the Lord's anointed, but he is also willfully fighting against what God is doing and what God has decided. He's fighting against God. He's fighting against the one who created him and the one who gave him everything. It's what the Bible calls sin. If I can illustrate it this way, our solar system has what at the very centre, the sun. And while everything moves around the sun, everything works as it should. But imagine another planet trying to displace the sun and be at the centre. John looks like he's wincing at the very thought of this. Disaster. Catastrophe. But that idea of trying to displace what should be at the center and occupy that space is what goes on inside every human heart. That rather than give God his rightful place in our lives, we want to keep ourselves at the center. And it's disastrous. And that's what we see here in Saul. And for anyone who continues in that way It is disastrous unless we repent, unless we stop, unless we stop and do what Jonathan was willing to do, which is surrender, surrender to God's rightful rule of our lives. What then happens in our last section? We're just going to look at verses 12 to 16. And in this last section we see that the Lord is with David. Simply that. It's repeated a couple of times. The Lord is with David. From now on, everything that Saul attempts to do to fix the problem of David gets turned on his head. It is almost comic as you go through. So Saul starts by demoting David, This would have been a demotion down to a thousand men from being over all the men of war. And he sends them away and thinks, I'll get them out of the limelight. But in verse 14, we read that this doesn't work. In everything David did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. So later on in the chapter, Saul decides to offer his daughters in marriage, hoping that this will lead to death by Philistine. Oh, daddy, how could you? But that fails. And in the end, due to David's bravery, Saul has to actually give David a promotion as he becomes his son-in-law, even closer to the throne again. Now, why did all this happen? Well, look at verse 12, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but had left Saul. Verse 14, in everything he did he had great success because the Lord was with him. And as this unfolds, Saul's response, verse 15, he was afraid of David. But everybody else's response, all of Israel and Judah loved David, verse 16, because he led them in their campaigns. You see, David is increasingly attractive to almost everyone except Saul. And he is the kind of king that Israel longed for. And that the Lord is so evidently with David is what makes him so appealing to the people. Ultimately, David points us forward in our Bibles to the King who fulfills this story, to Jesus Christ, the one who defeated his enemies and ours despite their best efforts to destroy him, the one who achieved all this because the Lord was with him in all that he did, that through death, And resurrection brought victory for his people, new life into God's family, forgiveness of sins, and a future undeserved. It all makes Jesus the Lord's anointed, God's chosen king, the rightful ruler of our lives. And the only right response is love for him. Recognize him as the one who came into this world to go to the cross so that sins could be forgiven. Recognize that he laid down his life to save his people. There is always going to be a point, a part of us, that wants to cling to our own position like Saul, but recognize that that is futile that is going against God. Seeing tonight what Jesus is like, it should draw us away from our own thrones and to his throne, towards him. And the right response to King Jesus is like Jonathan to to take off all our kingly clothes all our desires to be in charge of self, to renounce our claims to rule and to pledge ourselves to serve him always. We need his help to do that, let's pray. Father, please would you help us to see again tonight perhaps for the first time, the futility of holding on to our own thrones, wanting to wear the crown and to rule ourselves, because all the time that means we're resisting your rule in our lives. Please, would you help us again, and perhaps for the first time, To see the wonderful King that Jesus is. The one who came to lay down his life. To save his people. And to give them everything. Everything that we don't deserve. Life in your family, forgiveness for our sins, and the future with you. Help us, please, to bow the knee, to surrender in our hearts, and to grow in love for the Lord Jesus, that we would serve him always. In his name we pray. Amen.